0: Welcome to Arm Presents Fireside Chats, panel discussions looking at the business potential of technology. In today's Fireside Chat, we're looking at how the factory and warehouse of the future are evolving. There are more stringent requirements on flexibility, safety, autonomy, and performance. The panel will explore those trends including workload consolidation and how the industry is likely to respond. Today's moderator is John Heinlein from ARM. Hello and welcome to
1: today's panel discussion on the future of industrial automation and smart manufacturing. I'm excited this is gonna be a far-reaching discussion and we have a lot of topics we can cover in this area. And we brought together some fantastic industry experts to join us. And so that you can associate a voice with a name, let's have each of them introduce themselves. First, I'm your host, John Heinlein. I'm the Vice President of High Performance IoT at ARM. Joining us also, we have Stefan.
2: Stefan, can you in- introduce yourself? Thank you very much, John. Pleasure for joining the talk today. Uh, my name is Stefan Schoenegger, and I'm the, the VP of Product Strategy and Innovation at BinAR and located in Austria, Europe. And we also have Neil, also from
1: ARM. Neil, can you introduce yourself?
3: Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, Neil Stroud. So I'm the Senior Director of our industrial sector business uh, based in Austin.
1: All right, and these guys have a ton of experience in this area going back many, many years, and I think we can cover any topic under the sun in this area. So let's start by maybe framing the discussion. You know, Why do you think we're here? Um, maybe, Stefan, as you're a leader within the industry, can you start with your perspective on
2: what's the scope of the problem we should discuss today? Um, I think, uh, John. Le- let me first frame the the scope of the industry we are talking today. Um, I think to make it more plausible to to the audience today, um, l- l- I try to give some examples. So, taking automotive, uh, we we are not the ones that build devices that will be used in a car, but we are the ones uh, that deliver equipment that's needed to manufacture a car. And the same is uh, if you touch the consumer topics. Uh, we, we are not the ones uh, that you would uh, would be used together with a wearable, but but we deliver the equipment that's needed to manufacture wearable. And, and that really goes across the industry, including food and beverage, pharma, and many others. And, and basically, what we do is we deliver, uh, we as the automation companies, we deliver equipment that's needed for production machines, that's needed for robotic, that's needed for warehouses in order to actually make the manufacturing happening and uh, the frame of our today's discussion is really uh, the question what's the future of automation and and to try to to give it a few simple terms well basically we we are we are striving for operational excellence we are the ot companies and uh, what we are shooting for is really to make the manufacturing as smart as possible and if you really extrapolate the word uh, smart uh, to, to, it's, to really where it can go, then you finally will end in the term uh, autonomous. Autonomous factories, Other uh, would refer to it as dark factories. So that's really where it's driving us and, um, and what, what is our thought of uh, what will bring us there, then it's really when it comes to the IoT and that, that's really when I'm happy to, to, to have such a discussion uh, with colleagues uh, for, from Arm or other from your ecosystem to really find out on, on what's bringing us there together.
1: That's great. And can you maybe introduce just a few words about about your company, BNR? It's part of uh, ABB. Can you explain just a little bit of context for the listeners?
2: Yes, we, we are uh, basically uh, part of the ABB group. Uh, we are a $1 billion company. Uh, we are uh, basically headquartered in Austria, Europe, uh, but we have uh, subsidiaries all around, uh, all across the globe. Um, and uh, basically, we live off exporting to wherever there is a smart manufacturing needed. That's where we're heading for. And key products we are supplying to the market is really all around uh, PLCs. It's all around motors, drives, uh, some part of sensors. But also looking uh, really what what uh, came to the market uh, l- last years and also on the way uh, going forward. But then we really also are at what's called uh, the edge equipment, and and yeah, that's driving us and that's g- trying to add value to the market. Perfect, that's great, Neil. I'd love for you to give some introduction as well, and and uh,
1: Stefan also mentioned I T and O T, and it might be good for you to explain that uh, that convergence, which is important trend
3: yeah sure um yeah industrials are, are a really interesting market and, I mean arm has been playing in the space for a long time you know um, there's a there's a, a huge broad spectrum of use cases if we think back to you know more more traditional manufacturing with industrial automation um, looking at the kind of uh, control of production lines uh, I, I talk about this as, as kind of classical automation um, and as we think about this this is how we segment the market um, and Stefan mentioned the, the IoT and this, you know, getting connectivity and connecting the unconnected and, and allowing you to look at the production line and seeing how it's performing and the optimization and, and this road to autonomy. So I think you, you can you can break that into the, the IT, so kind of the, the um, information technology networking, which is more of the traditional networking, industrial PCs, and then the operational technology, which is the, the production lines itself and, and historically these these two networks have, have lived very separate lives so the factory will be very isolated from the outside world but we're seeing as we make this journey to autonomy the, these two networks are beginning to converge into a single network so that's what we mean by um, ITOT convergence so I think it's it's, it's really interesting how this, this market's going to evolve over the coming years on this journey to autonomy and um, the, the smart manufacturing that we're heading towards. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting discussion, I'm sure, as we get through this, uh, this podcast. That's great. And I think that convergence you talk about is both
1: brings opportunities uh, to improve these solutions, but it also brings some challenges and some new technical requirements that might not have been there before. So let's, let's dive right in. Let's start maybe with a little controversial topic. I always like to spice things up a little bit. So maybe starting with you, Stefan, what's your overall impression? I mean, is the industry the delivering what you need to achieve the promise that you described in terms of this automation and, and where are the gaps?
2: well John now now I could give a very uh, diplomatic answer then it would be uh, let it depends but but uh, I think to make it easy it's it's a no um so I think what what we what we do expect in in terms of of uh, like all the things we need in our market it's it's the way we we use the hardware the way we do deal with software uh, but also the physical constraints of the devices it's it's it got closer over the last uh, years and decades uh, but I would say we are still quite um, a bit away from from what we really would like to get okay
1: well that's that frames a a lot of topics we can cover neil what's what's your take on this and where do you see the the challenge and the gaps
3: so i think it's a really interesting time because it's clear that the industrial segment's going through you know somewhat of a disruption and we're at an inflection point i think um you know, historically, as I said before, these worlds have been very isolated from the fact of being very isolated from the outside world. but you know there's some mega topics that are having to get solved around security and connectivity and this, this whole autonomous thing as well is, is a big unknown challenge ahead of all of us. So I think as an industry, we have to come together and begin to solve some of these problems. So I think it's not just about the evolution and, and making products faster or shorter cycle times, You know, that there's an element of, of revolution here as well that, that we all have to solve together. Okay,
1: so a lot of different aspects coming together at once, and Stefan, you mentioned a couple different topics, so maybe we should break this apart. You talked about the you know, hardware requirements and some of the needs from the hardware side uh, and, and some others, and so let's go into those one at a time. Let's begin first with hardware. You know, what are you seeing that's, the, that's attractive, and what are the gaps you need uh, that
2: you see from the hardware side from the market? I think let's let's start with uh, what we see, what is attractive, and and what we can really uh, make use in a good way, and and that's really when it's, it comes to the topic of compute power or or also um, uh, basically a power consumption per uh, per compute power. I think th- th- these are things where, where uh, our ecosystem or the, our suppliers really leverage uh, w- what's used also in the consumer space. So so that's a, that's the good side of things. On on the other end of the medal, um, compute power is uh, not everything. Especially when it comes to to um, autonomously, um, basically behaving systems in the in in the aspect of safety as well as of HEVs, robots, because there also real time really plays a crucial role, and 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 compute power is is, is really not the only KPI for uh, for a CPU and for a high performance CPU. Uh, so real time is really one of the aspects uh, where we see uh, options to improve um and then the other side of the medal is really w- when it comes down to the integration level so we what we see is really in the in the ecosystem of of electronics and and uh, and chips we need to use and put on our pcbs and on our products i think there is really room for improvement on the integration level um w- we scale down the the nanometer architectures but but we really don't leverage what would fit into one single piece of either silicon or at least of one single package and and i think there is room um and uh, that's really what we would. Uh, so it sounds.
3: And Stephen actually if,
2: uh, sorry to interrupt. No, you, John. Um, yeah, I just wanted to dig in on, on the comment you just made. So you said
3: we, we need to improve real time. Why is that so important?
2: Well, it's uh, at the end. It, it it really. If you if you compare real time uh, with the expectation from the consumer world, then real time is is defined by what the a human being will recognize or not recognize. So if the uh, if you open an app or or a, or a game on a mobile phone. Um, then, then really is what the what the user can recognize, and 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 that's really a, that's a high-digit millisecond uh, behavior of so that um, that basically the refresh rates of websites or, as I said, uh, the movement of 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 of, um, of, of games uh, it really seems good. Um, but when it comes to a sensor reacting uh, to to a, a, a moving part or or anything like that, we, we really we talk uh, microseconds. So there is a factor of of, of literally hundreds. Or, or even t- thousands in between of what kind of response time is needed on certain actions uh, or, or on certain behaviors. And that can have an, an just a functional impact, basically machines not producing good enough, not precise enough, but that can have also a safety impact of basically a robot not stopping fast enough once a human uh, enters the safe zone of a robot. Yeah, it's 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 important to remember, I guess, that you know when you're
1: talking about a giant uh, robot or even a smaller robot, sometimes the tolerances and the precision they're trying to achieve are such that a microsecond or you know some some small number of microseconds makes a big difference in terms of the accuracy that's produced. That's very interesting. So, you, so you talked about a number of things there, Neil. What, what's your take on this, and and how do those aspects play together?
3: Yeah, I, I think. Clearly, real-time and deterministic performance is, is you know, a, a key thing we need to solve here. Um, and and it, I think it's also obvious that safety and real-time go hand in hand. You have to solve those two holistically. Um, I think also, Stefan, you talked about performance, and I think certainly from what we've seen and the engagements we've got, I think it's it, it's one step further than that. I think it's the scalable performance. So having an architecture. Uh, that scales from you know the smallest thing right at the edge of the network all the way up to you know the cloud and, and uh, that kind of capability seems to, to resonate in the industry. There, I think there's a lot of fragmentation that we've seen in the industry from uh, from that perspective. So um we think about these things holistically so it, it's how do these four things come together three or four things so it, it's the it certainly it's the the performance and scalable performance it's the certainly the safety and the functional safety elements and and what we need to do there i think security is another one and that's you know a huge topic but it's not just about security and isolation it's about the end-to-end security so you know how do we how do we solve the problem not just for the chip itself, but also thinking about the software, thinking about the you know what does that mean for the system integrator, what does that mean for the factory operator? So that holistic uh, security solution, and then you know the, the the real time at the end. So it's those four things all coming together, and and whether you're looking at you know, industrial automation, the more traditional uh, use cases, or whether it's the the newer UK use cases around IoT and connectivity and gateways, or whether it's robotics, you always need either all or some of those things to come together into into the platform holistically. So that's absolutely the way you know Arm looks at this and how we solve those problems together. Um, I think the other thing to, to think about as well is, and I'm sure you'll you'll have a, an opinion on this, Stefan, is is the the time it takes for the innovation of silicon, and whether whether as an industry we're going quick enough there, um, because there's, there's certainly you know, a period of time that it takes from when we deliver our IP to it being realized in silicon. So you know, are, are we going fast enough there, or do we need to do a better job as well?
2: <laughs> you know, the, uh, that's uh, the usual answer. Will be we always need to go faster, and 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 for sure, um, that's also we know that we put a, a very controversial request also to our supply chain because on the one hand uh, we want things to go faster, innovate faster, uh, and and really get get the things very timely. On the other hand, uh, we need our supply chain uh, to deliver products uh, literally for decades uh, at, at the same uh, of, um, form fit and function compatibility. So so that's. Uh, we we are, yeah we need them faster and on the other hand yes we are aware that we put a, a really uh, tension on the supply chain here so so neil if i if i take the the points you made you talked about
1: scalable performance uh, real-time capabilities uh, security um I mean, those are all um those are all uh, pretty well understood by most people, most listeners in ter- context of their own experience. Although there may be different amounts of it in the industrial market, but functional safety. Let's take another minute to talk about functional safety because that's something which you don't typically see in in other markets. And I, I want to get a sense from you, Stefan. I mean, do you do you see functional safety as as integral? Because we've seen a range of solutions in the market where functional safety is baked in from the start, or where it's kind of bolted on, you know, artificially from the outside with brute force solutions. What's the what do you see as the best approach to solve this?
2: <laughs> well basically look at, uh, looking even at our own uh, history and safety so bnr started with functional safety uh, close to 20 years ago and when we started uh, it was the, the brute force bolted on approach um, and and once uh, we really did our, our principal lessons um, and 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 we really got the market feedback and, and meanwhile it's all inbuilt so safety has to be an integral part of the design of the behavior of the of the device capability um, and and that's really the way forward. So there, there is only one solution and the solution has to be intrinsically safe, um, both in the term of functional safety, but also, of course, in the point of view of security. Um, and, and really, that's that's the way forward. So I'm glad to
1: hear that, uh, you know, if ARM has spent a lot of time investing in functional safety, it's an area that perhaps we're less well known, but in fact, we've been investing for years. And so I think we'll be talking more about that in the future. And I'm, I'm thrilled to hear we're, we're on target. Uh, you also talked about long term support for, for, from silicon providers and I think that is, is important because once you design a platform you, you tend to manufacture it and live with it for years. What typical requirements do you see from, from, your, uh, from your, your specs? How long do you need support for generally?
2: So basically, we, we need to provide uh, the products toward our customers uh, somewhere between fifteen up to twenty five or even longer. So so really, that's the life cycle of production machines. Once they are installed, they usually keep going until they fall apart. And as they are heavy mechanical pieces, so <laughs> unfortunately or, or fortunately they don't do. So from that point of view, really uh, that's the life cycle we are looking for.
3: And it's I guess it's an interesting dilemma because I mean to go back to a point you made earlier on the, the rate of innovation is accelerating yet the deployed base is staying where it always was that 10, 15, 20 years. Do you not see that reducing a little bit or do you think we're stuck with that?
2: Uh, absolutely that that that's a challenge and and I think that's also one uh, one element where maybe even uh, the the ecosystem of, of, of silicon could really walk towards us because we have to on the one hand maintain uh, platforms for 15 20 25 years uh, but maybe with with the same functionality uh, m- maybe uh, a part of the of the security updates and everything but on the other hand uh, really bring new families new generations new functionality every year and and with this it, it means we are really uh, actively and in parallel supporting uh, up to uh, 10, 15, 20 different product families. So, so what we would really need there is, is also a much better support in terms of uh, what can we leverage from the market, what can we reuse, what has been built, and where is really where our domain knowledge comes best into the game, and, and how can we make best use of our own resources to add value for our market.
1: Well, well, that maybe is a perfect segue to talking about software, because if we say the hardware is going to have a long life, uh, there'll be a bit of a creative tension towards getting innovation versus longer life. But it sounds like you're, there's a lot of software issues as well. So maybe we could dig into that and say, what are the trends and challenges you're seeing there that you'd like the ecosystem to address? And, and maybe where do you see how the software could potentially evolve, even if the hardware has to be longer lived? Maybe, Neil, do you want to start first and talk about uh, some of the things we're seeing?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and and it's been it's been a very interesting journey, I would say, over, over the last ten or so years or fifteen years that I've been working with industrial customers. Um, I think historically, you know, these these have typically been very closed systems with a lot of proprietary software. Each you know, OEM has their their very special and uh, and and focused solutions. Um, and, and typically, they're based around commercial offerings from the industry, that there was very little open source there, for example. So I, I think it's, it, this rate of innovation is, is definitely driving some some new investigations, new behaviors in the industry. You know, there's, there's a big focus on looking at open source and how that can fit into uh, this, this new world of um, smart manufacturing. And, and obviously, that will have a big impact on how things get deployed and rolled out. Um, I, th- I think also, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of activity as far as consortiums and and groups coming together to try and solve these problems. When we look at open source, so, so certainly one of the hot topics at the moment, for example, is it goes back to the functional safety topic. Actually, is um, you know, uh, open source. Is is absolutely great and it's used all over the place. But when you think about functional safety, the last thing you want is is to be able to change things or update things or or tweak things. You know, functional safety kinda of says that you lock it and you don't touch it, and, and you know exactly what it is. So things like Zen Industrial, looking at safety-certified hypervisors, and the, uh, the newly formed ELISA, so enabling Linux and safety applications. Uh, this project as well to, to look at safety-certified Linux. I, I think that's the two great examples of how the industry is looking to move forward. Uh, as a whole. So um, I, I think there are changes afoot um, I, I, and that's, that's before we even start to talk about the developer and, and how developers plug themselves into this ecosystem as well. So it's certainly interesting and challenging times. So Stefan, what, what's your view here?
2: I think, uh, well, let's pick up the topic of, of the license. So, I think uh, the history of our industry for sure is that it's always based on commercial licensing. Um, anyhow, I think uh, meanwhile um, we, we all recognize that we, we should really be license agnostic, uh, and and what we are looking at is which solution, whether open source or commercial, is really del- giving us the best value, and and I can only encourage uh, the, the ecosystem to to really deliver more. And and what you mentioned uh, with with a safety solution, and and as I said, it it, it isn't. Uh, relevant if it's commercial open source relevant is uh, in what way can we extend it is the license whatever it is industry friendly um, and and is it really uh, well supported and maintained i think these are the criterias that that really weigh most and um, on the other hand um, in my opinion there is much more functionality that Really could be added on top of the hardware, where really there's no differentiation. Uh, let's just take uh, communication uh, or connectivity topics such as OPC UA or TSN. You know that, that these are open standards. There is no reason to differentiate. So there is also no value of doing that individually by each automation company. So so I think that the market is really really uh, happy to to take things that are coming from the ecosystem. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's not there today, but I think that that's really the opportunity uh, for the ecosystem uh, to improve here. Uh, and last but not least, uh, what I really want to, to stress here, and, and you asked me initially, John, if I'm, if I'm happy or not, and I mentioned I'm not happy with the software. Well, there's always something you can do more, so that's the one side of the, of the, of the answer, but the other one is really also it needs to be easy to use. Um, our industry has a, has a strong OT background. There are many, many engineers that have a mechanical engineering background and, and companies, enter in really large uh, corporations, really transition towards becoming software companies. But that's, that's not the history, that's not the heritage. Um, so we also need to make it easy to use, uh, to, to really, in, in a very easy way, access all that functionality. And, and yeah, that's, that's of course the job of the ecosystem.
1: So I think there's, a, there's always a, a trade-off between doing everything yourself and I know some companies feel as if they need to do everything themselves but it sounds like what you're saying is there's a growing willingness and openness to, uh, to standardize on some of these non-differentiating layers to provide a better foundation and better consistency while still maintaining the ability to differentiate your, your solutions and your value add on top of it. Is that, is that right?
2: Absolutely. Not, really nothing to be added on this statement.
1: Well good and we we talked about hardware before and 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 this software has been very interesting but you know we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the unique nature of the industrial market because uh, there are a lot of specific details in terms of the constrained physical environment and the thermal environment, uh, the safety environment, uh, You know whether it ranges from cooling and fans being undesirable. So maybe it would be helpful to, for you to educate us a little bit on some of the challenges you face in designing systems in your environment and, and what requirements does that put on the systems and the elements that go into it
2: yeah uh, just maybe maybe take a few examples so so for example when it comes to the topic um, of, of of thermal issues so basically if, if you compare with a with a consumer device uh, then usually you ha- you have uh, operating temperatures uh, somewhere between with between 0 or maybe -5 minus -10 minus and then maybe it goes up to 40 45 50 you're talking celsius and, uh, we 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 mount uh, electronics uh, we, we, we mount motors uh, uh, we mount electronics on on motors and and the motors itself is placed somewhere in the sahara to operate a substation um so so we really we reach ambient temperatures of 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 80 90 100 110 uh, 120 of the um, uh, for the electronics. So, so this is really putting a lot of stress on the electronics. And uh, the other side is really vibrations. So just think about the presses used in the body shops of automotion factories, uh, automotive factories. So so that's really, uh, th- these are tough environments for the electronic uh, equipment and, and that needs to be considered.
3: And I think that's a great point. And, and I think whilst some of that impacts uh, you know the, the silicon design, of course, I think there are certainly things that we can do as an IP su- supplier as well, because a lot of this comes down to performance per watt, so having a, a much more efficient architecture can certainly help you in these designs uh, you know, to, to, to cram in the performance you need for passive cooling at the same time, so uh, we, we're certainly there to support you with that, Stefan.
1: And that's great. I think supporting a range of performance capabilities, this the scalability argument we talked about before is has been important in, in other markets, but it sounds like it's growing in importance for you as well where you, you need to support a range of applications with you know maybe a common software base, but you still need to have uh, uh, the consistent hardware. Okay. Well, this is exciting. I mean, if we look about, if we think about this, it, it almost begs the question, you know, why doesn't just BNR do their own chip? It sounds like you've got a clear understanding of your requirements. It's, they're very specific. Just do your own. Why aren't you
2: doing that? Well, uh, John, I have to correct you. We did. Uh, so basically, BNR did own ASICS. BNR even developed own MCU IPs. And, and that was at a time when maybe even ARM was much smaller and not so uh, common around the group. Um, but uh, but really, looking at this from today's point of view, th- that's not a game we should play in. We sh- we really need to focus on on the on where we can add value and and where we can differentiate and and where really really help our customers to to improve automation uh, topics and 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 that's not in the silicon play. So really, we want to rely on the silicon ecosystem. That's our way forward. And if we did. Uh, something different in the past that was maybe for lack of availability uh, of, of certain, maybe, attributes like real-time. Uh, but going forward, uh, really, we, we need to play where we play best and that's automation and we want to add there. Uh, and then there's another topic, you know, we wouldn't even have the, the skill set uh, and, and we don't want to recruit that skill set to make that happen. We, we really want to add value in the automation space and not on the silicon side.
3: It goes back to what you said earlier on about um, some, some level of standardisation and not reinventing the wheel, and, and relying on the ecosystem to provide those standard building blocks, which 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 I think the ARM ecosystem does very well. And I think it's a great point. And one of the things we we work very hard on is is how we can accelerate that innovation and, and give you access to uh, you know new products sooner. So looking at you know models based uh, development as well, so you, so you can start developing sooner. At, you're not waiting for silicon to come along so there's a whole range of tools and models out there that help you to 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 do that innovation uh, and and accelerate the time to market
1: and I I assume you also are doing innovation at the system level do you do much innovation at the board level or what what's the level of abstraction you're you're interested to work at?
2: Um, uh, Really, what our customers look at us is is the system level. So basically, they they really want to to go productivity go up. They want uh, the quality levels to go up. They want uh, basically downtime of machines to go down so and, and and these are really the things we care as well because our customers care our customers don't care uh, what's happening on board level on chip level i think what what we care and what our customers care is is, is really combining uh, things that come across the platforms across the systems and unite them to one uh, basically hopefully a unique solution on the market
1: okay well, this has been, uh, we've covered quite a lot of ground, maybe let's sum up by looking to the future. What do you think is your outlook to the market? I mean, in this, in this landscape, it seems to me that more automated factories are going to become more, more critical, particularly in, you know, in this time we're dealing with uh, social distancing and so on, which has put some manufacturing at risk. But even longer term, I think, do you see the opportunity for more and more growth in this area? Do you, is it up and to the right in smart manufacturing in your opinion?
2: Uh, really no doubt about that so i would even see uh, despite uh, really being in a challenging time now but uh, basically, the the, the the need is rising on, on a weekly basis. So so basically, everything that leads towards met manufacturing is there's a huge huge opportunity and, and really really huge market out there, and and really there is no sign of of, of going down. So from that point of view, I'm I'm absolutely optimi- uh, I'm absolutely optimistic and and also the the investment readiness is absolutely there. Um, so yeah, from this point of view, super optimistic uh, going forward.
3: Yeah, and I echoed that as well, and I think even, you know, in the world we live in right now, I think even in the last couple of months, we've seen almost big investments, bigger investments being made to accelerate this, you know, adoption towards smart manufacturing and the, and the journey toward autonomous operations, I think. We've we've solved a lot of the problems along the way, but we've still got some big big nuts to crack, uh, you know, out in the future around real time, as you said, and, and, and safety, and and some of these other topics. So, I think we need to work on those together as a as an ecosystem and a, as an industry to solve them. But I, I think we're on a good track. I'm, I'm optimistic too
1: this sounds this sounds very exciting and i'm I'm thrilled for this insight you've all provided. We've covered quite a lot of ground here, and I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours, but I think we're gonna to have to draw it to a close. But let me first start by thanking our, our participants, Stefan and Neil, thank you for your your perspectives. And I also want to give you each a chance to say if if our listeners would like to learn more, you know where can they go to to learn about uh, these markets, about your companies and about these solutions. Stefan, is there a website or a place they should go to to read about you and your company?
2: Well, uh, first, uh, thanks of all. Uh, um, first of all, thanks to you, John, uh, for the opportunity to chat with you. It wasn't was a really an exciting discussion. And yes, anyone uh, listening to us today, uh, please uh, reach out to me. Uh, um, for sure, you find me on LinkedIn. Uh, but otherwise, for sure, there is the BNR website, which is uh, bnr-automation.com, uh, and uh, there for sure you find lots of in- interesting information around uh, the future of manufacturing.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah, on my side, yeah, and, and also a heck of a thanks, thanks to, to both. It's been a, a st- very stimulating conversation. Um, as far as, you know, information, we have a great website. Um, it's uh, www.arm.com slash solutions slash industrial, and you'll find lots of product-based information there and white papers and application notes and, and the like. Um, and, uh, again, feel free to reach out to me directly or LinkedIn as well. It's, that's a great point, Stefan, that you made. So, So thanks, everyone.
1: Well, we look forward to to more conversation in this area, and thanks everyone for joining us today.
0: Thanks for listening to Arm Presents Fireside Chat. Arm's technology is at the heart of computing and connectivity. Their advanced energy efficient processor designs have enabled intelligent computing in more than 150 billion chips. You most probably have ARM tech in your smartphone and increasingly it's in the world's most powerful supercomputers. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love it if you could leave a five-star rating and tell a friend. For more information on ARM, visit arm.com.